Hello everyone, if you would like to deepen your spiritual experience, I am hosting a weekly meditation every Saturday at 11am Eastern Standard Time. If you would like to know more, in the show notes I do have the details available to you where you can join the WhatsApp group that will have the Zoom link so you can attend the meditation class. This is absolutely free. I look forward to seeing you there. Please enjoy the rest of this podcast episode. Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Bearded Mystic Podcast and I am your host Rahul N. Singh. Thank you for joining me today and for taking out the time to watch or listen to this podcast episode. So today what are we going to talk about? Well it's the three spiritual books that I feel every serious spiritual seeker should definitely read and these three books have been really influential in my life and they've really made sure that I continue to be inspired to try and attain those states that these spiritual books really talk about. So really after you listen to this podcast or watch this podcast make sure you go out and buy these books. I recommend that you take out that time to really invest and concentrate on the wisdom that are in those books. Let me start off with the first book. The first book is the Upanishads. The Upanishads was actually, I'll tell you a story. I wanted to know more about Hinduism and growing up, I had this really warped view of Hinduism, which was that it was all about uh, Murti Puja or what's termed as idol worshipping. Now I thought that's all that Hinduism was. I didn't know about the rich philosophy that was involved in them. So I was at a, a puja at a you know a place where they were conducting a ceremony, and I asked the bandit, the the priest, that what should I read first? What book should I read in Hinduism? Should I read the Bhagavad Gita? Should I read the Upanishads? Should, uh, in fact, I didn't even know about the Upanishads at that time. Or should I read the Vedas? I knew about the Vedas. So the actual bandit, uh, the priest turned to me and said, read the Upanishads first, if you really want to be serious about your spirituality, because that contains the deepest elements in Hinduism, the deepest philosophies in Hinduism. So I took out the time to go and buy the Upanishads, and I haven't regretted it. The Upanishads has been my go-to whenever I feel I'm confused about something, or when I just want to deepen my meditation, the Upanishads has been there. It's been my good friend and always my friend in, in need. The Upanishads are actually part of the Vedas and the Upanishads means uh, sitting next to the master or sitting with the master. So you can imagine that the sages that had written these texts, they were of the highest order. They were thinking on levels which, you know, is unfathomable. They were thinking about concepts which really were looking to awaken every seeker, not just people that belong to Hinduism, but philosophy itself, thought itself. So the um, the main philosophy that I find in the Upanishads is linked to Advaita Vedanta, again, non-duality. That philosophy is steeped in the Upanishads. And there is, the, you know, it focuses mainly on the concepts of Brahman, 
and the Ottoman. Now, sometimes it interchangeably uses both terms. And this is quite interesting because in the onset, it's really telling us that there is only one phenomena or one reality. We may perceive it as two different things or multiple different things, but actually it's just one reality. And the Upanishads really hones in on that point. And, you know, there's some amazing sayings uh, in the Upanishads and they're called the Mahavakyas. And one of the Mahavakyas is Tatvamasi. Tatvamasi means you are that. Again, it, if you look at the words, there's only three words, but the power in those three words is immense. And what it's pointing to, even more powerful. And then there's a, a, a second one, uh, Aham Brahmasmi. This is very popular now. People say it a lot because it means I am Brahman, I am that supreme reality. But this was said not in terms of an extra layer of ego, but actually in complete humility, that there is nothing but Brahman. So even I have to call myself Brahman. That's what it really means. It is out of necessity to ensure that we keep this non-dual approach, this non-dual state of mind. So, you know, again, they're very easy to be misunderstood today because someone can say, well, that's blasphemy. How can you say I am God? But in reality, the Hindu texts only refer to God as this supreme reality, this awareness, this consciousness, nothing more than that. And not as a separate being that looks down in, in the, uh, texts, they do refer to, uh, Brahman in two ways. And that is as Nirgun Brahman and Sargun Brahman. Uh, Sargun Brahman is the one with form or with attributes. Nirgun Brahman is that without attributes. And the Nirgun Brahman is heavily talked about in the Upanishads. The other thing uh, that the Upanishads really hones in on is that it sees Maya or the manifest universe as simply the changing reality that coexists with the changeless ultimate reality that is Brahman. This is something very important and very deep and it's, and it worth, and is worthy of me repeating this twice. Maya or the manifest universe that we see, that we perceive is simply the changing reality that coexists with the changeless ultimate reality that is Brahman. So whatever we see that is changing, that is subject to modification, really is coexisting with that ultimate reality. That ultimate reality is not affected or not influenced by this changing reality called Maya or illusion. And I don't really like the word illusion because it implies that it's not real in the sense of, but it is real on the day-to-day living, on the transactional level. But if we really understand Maya as that concept, as something that just coexists with the ultimate reality, we can create that oneness very quickly. And I would say that if you read this text with the understanding of what the formless ultimate reality is, this Brahman, then it becomes more alive for you. It, you can hear the words, you can hear the words even though you're reading it. They become so clear and so powerful that they will transform you 
And I even say that, I mean, I read the English translations and they were still powerful. Imagine what the Sanskrit is like. So I would say, take out the time to read this book and it will feel as if a master is speaking to you. So please get the Upanishads. And what I will do in the link below is, or in the show notes, is write down uh, the where you can read the books, uh, which translations I feel are, are great. And uh, the ones that I have read of the Upanishads is Eknath Israran's translations. They are very clear uh, and very to the point. The next book that I like to talk about is the Tao Te Ching. Again, this is a very popular Taoist text and a lot of people have uh, read it and talked about it. Uh, Eckhart Tolle has talked about it. Dr. Wayne Dyer has talked about it. Uh, they've referred to it as a very, as something they always go back to. And again, with me, I always go back to the great wisdom that was shared by Lao Tzu. And Lao Tzu is the author or supposedly the author behind this. And this text is like really simple. But again, in its simplicity, it's, not so easy to understand because it's so deep and the deeper you think about it the more you discover in these words these verses that in are in the Tao uh, Te Ching and there's only 81 chapters it's not a relatively long book but it deserves our full attention and you really need to be fully attentive when you read it and really think about it if you just skim read uh, the Tao Te Ching or with any of these texts, you miss out on so much. You miss out on so much context that your mind is able to comprehend if you give it the time. And the Tao Te Ching, you know, it really inspires us to let go of the complexity of life. It really guides us to be simple and to keep things simple. Uh, as well as, you know, it tells us to live a virtuous life, a life that is of forgiveness, of caring, of compassion, of tolerance. And it really guides upon that. And again, commits us to a life of non-action, meaning that you're do, there's no doership in your, in your day-to-day life, that you let go of everything. And even though you're not doing anything, everything is still being done without you doing anything. Everything will still go as it is. And this really hones in on our feeling of death, because when we die, the world's going going to carry on. And the Tao Te Ching really allows you to feel that wisdom that even though life will end, the journey still continues, like we mentioned in the second podcast. So there is a, a, a similarity with the Upanishads and there's a, a, a line in the Tao Te Ching that indeed the hidden and the manifest give birth to each other. You know, we talked about Maya and Brahman, you know, being realities that coexist. The same thing is said here in the Tao Te Ching. The hidden and the manifest give birth to each other. They both are interrelated and they both are as real as you want it to be. It's just about bringing our awareness, our consciousness to a level where we can comprehend this and live with this realization on a day-to-day level. But there's a great thing about the Tao Te Ching, in terms of how it tells you to live a virtuous life, 
it tells you to give others a chance it tells you to uh give them more opportunity and not to be greedy it doesn't allow you to think on the level of greed it always puts other people first and and guides you to think about other people uh, so th- i find that really important and you know sometimes we feel that if we let other people come first or if we let other people win then we lose our only chance in winning or being victorious but actually i feel that when we do put other people first and and lao su really is for this when you put other people first you will naturally attain what you have to attain to if you were meant to be victorious you will be victorious but put other people first and what is the point of being and what's the point of winning something when you lose people in the process what value is there in that so i feel that lao really guides us to that and that when we give to others we open up infinite possibilities and infinite chances and this is this only happens when we open ourselves up to that vision this is something i feel only a few of us ever really want to go towards because we live in a world which wants to always be about i've got to win i've got to be victorious i've got to achieve this i've got to come to the top i've got to become a billionaire we have all these things but if we lose respect for each other in the process what value does it have so again i give you the line from uh, the dao de jing and that is avoid putting yourself before others and you be- can become a leader among men again just put your put others first and watch what other people do for you you don't have to do anything they they will always be there to support you they will always be there to make sure that you are number one. the third book that i would like to talk about is the ashtavakra gita this book is very simple yet so profound and yet again difficult to comprehend if you just skim read it it requires deep attention and it's a dialogue between ashtavakra and raja janak uh, king janak he the king is a disciple of ashtavakra means someone who's you know got eight he was contorted his body was contorted in eight different ways and that's what ashtavakra means but ashtavakra is a child when he approaches he's much younger than raja janak and this dialogue that occurs between them is very powerful it deals with the complete unreality of the external world and absolute oneness of existence so again what is trying to say is that what we think of the if we think the world is separate to uh, reality no or if we think the world is separate to consciousness no it's saying that there is only consciousness there's only this and in consciousness is this material world or this world of maya so it really hones in on that understanding and the great thing about this text of you know this uh, of ashtavakra gita is that it refuses to be involved in rituals or moralistic thinking it doesn't think that's important it feels that if you understand the ultimate reality if you understand what consciousness is and you understand that it's all one 
you will naturally lead a moral life. You don't have to bring that about. So, and this text as well, it's, it doesn't require you to believe in anything. It doesn't require you to believe in a God. It, it really is very particular about understanding that there is only oneness. There is only oneness, nothing more. So this book really gets you to do that. And again, uh, I'll give some quotes from it. If you wish to be free, know you are the self, the witness of all these, the heart of awareness. This is very profound. Like I said, very simple words, but there's a lot of depth. If you wish to be free, know you are the self, the witness of all these, the heart of awareness. So again, if you want to be free, we just have to understand that we are the self. We are the supreme self. We are Brahman, Aham Brahmasmi. Very simple. And we just, we are the witness to all, all this external world, this stimuli that we constantly are digesting. We are just witnessing all this. We are the consciousness that is witnessing, that is watching all this, yet is untouched by all of this. And that is the heart of awareness. That is the heart. Knowing that is the heart. And another quote from the book is, You are unconditioned and changeless, formless and immovable, unfathomable awareness. Imperturbable, such consciousness is unclinging. It's, you know, a tongue twister in itself. But again, I repeat, you are unconditioned and changeless. Formless and immovable, unfathomable awareness, unperturbable, such consciousness is unclinging. So again, what it's telling us is that this Brahman that's within, this consciousness that is within, it doesn't cling to any phenomena, it doesn't cling to any external stimuli, it doesn't ex uh, cling on to any external world. It understands that it's only this awareness. It understands that it's formless, that it's immovable. This awareness always stays. This consciousness always stays here. It doesn't move. It doesn't, it's completely still. And again, if you read this and you really meditate upon these words that are mentioned in all three books, it will be very beneficial for our spiritual practice. It will enhance our spiritual practice. It will enhance our understanding. And these books, the great thing about them is that when you're going deeper in your meditation, when you read these books, they will be your guiding lights, really. They will tell you whether you're experiencing the right thing or whether you're still getting into the game of the ego. So definitely, if when you get a chance, read the Upanishads, Tao Te Ching, and the Ashtavakra Gita. So let me recap here. The three books that every serious seeker needs to read are the Upanishads, Tao Te Ching, and Ashtavakra Gita. And, you know, I will provide the links to these translations that I feel are the best in the show notes or in the description if you're watching YouTube. I will do that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bearded Mystic Podcast. Please do remember to follow 
or subscribe to this channel and do leave a review for this podcast. I'd really appreciate knowing what you think. You can follow me on social media and I will leave the links below to each of those accounts. I do share small clips on there that you can share with friends and family. And if you feel that anyone in your friends and family circle would love this podcast, do share it with them. Do remember, a new episode is uploaded every Sunday and Thursday. Until next time, take care. See you again soon. Bye.